All right, I got 6.30, so we're gonna just start on time. I can't blame anybody this week. But if I did, if I did, I would blame Casey Woodmancy uh, for making everything late. So we are gonna start on time because we have a big chunk to cover. So let me pray for us, and then after I get done praying, we will dive into our content. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have a beautiful day today and reminding us of your faithfulness even as the seasons are changing. And God, we thank you for all of the good things that you have given us, including your word. God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to come and study, and I pray that it would be beneficial for us and be honoring for you. And as is my custom, I would just ask that you would pray for me, that the words that I say would be clear, that they would be beneficial and accurate, and that uh, I would say nothing that is out of harmony with the gospel. So if you would, take a moment and pray for me. Father, I am humbled by the responsibility, but yet also the um, privilege of being able to teach your word. God, I ask that even as I am working through this big chunk of John 6, that I pray that the things that I say would be beneficial, they would be honoring to you. God, I pray that you would send your spirit even now and give me unction to speak and speak only what it is that you would have me to say. And so, Father, we thank you for the witness that we have in your word from our brother John. I pray that you would use it through your Holy Spirit to drive down into our lives what it is that you would have us to learn tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you're coming in, uh, there is a handout. It's a little half sheet with two boxes on there. Chad and Brad have those. Um, so if you want to grab them, if you grab one of the big sheets at the back, that's the preview stuff for the business meeting. Um, so don't look at that. We're not talking about that tonight. Take it home. Look at it there. That's what you need to do. All right, so... Let us talk about where we are right now. Um, we are in John chapter 6, and I told y'all last week that we were going to cover the first 20 or so verses, and then I would cover about the next 40 tonight, and then I would do a video for the rest. Um, we're actually going to cover all of John chapter 6. We're just going to fly. So we're just going to cover all of John chapter 6 tonight. We're going to make it happen. So in order to do that well, we need to remember a couple of things from last week. We have got to guard against becoming super familiar with these stories in the Bible and getting tired of them. All right, so we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water from the first third of John chapter 6. And if we start getting bored with the Bible, we're in trouble. So let's guard against that. Number two, the big thing that we saw is that Jesus provides abundantly for our lives. And what we saw is that Jesus uh, is confronted with a real situation where people are hungry and he not only multiplies food to meet um, their need right then and there, he goes above and beyond and there is more left over than they started with. Like, not only did they all eat as much as they wanted, there was all this left over. And the whole point there is that Jesus is providing abundantly for our life, not just now, but also in the future. We also said with the story of Jesus walking on the water is that he is all powerful over all things in creation. He is the agent of creation. He is the one with whom uh, God's word was spoken and things came into being. When you look in Colossians chapter 1, 13, 14, and 15, that all things were created through him and for him. And so he has power over all creation. And that's a big deal for us. And then lastly, the big thing we needed to see that started in the first third of John chapter 6, and we're going to see this theme run all the way through the rest of the chapter, is that our author, the apostle John, is intentionally drawing a comparison between Moses and Jesus. John is the only biblical author to recount in the feeding of the 5,000 that this took place during Passover. We're going to see a word um, that John's going to use very specifically here to remind us of what happened in the Exodus and in Numbers. Incidentally, we just got done reading Numbers, and so you should remember some of these stories um, because we should have read them very recently. So the whole point is that Jesus is not only being compared to Moses, but he is greater than Moses in every way, right? Moses splits the sea and they walk on the dry ground. Jesus walks on top of it, right? Moses calls for God to provide in this bread from heaven, this sky bread. They don't know what it's called, so they call it, what is it? Manna is what that means. And they eat their fill. Well, Jesus takes this bread and he fills them up 
continually with something that looks like it's nothing, right? And so he is greater than Moses. That theme is going to run all the way through the rest of John chapter 6. Cool? And so we're going to cover all of that tonight. Rock on. So this is where we're heading, and I'm just going to throw all of it up there at once. We are going to talk about some pretty key themes and markers that John is using in John chapter 6. So we've already talked about how John chapter 6 itself is about the Passover. Uh, John chapter 5 was a Sabbath. John chapter 6 is a Passover. 7 is Tabernacles, um, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then Dedication uh, is starting halfway through chapter 10 through the end of the chapter, right? So there are these markers in this larger section that we are in, but within John, there are these key themes and markers that are also available as well. I have all of these notes available for you for download. I will get you taken care of. And then we're going to hit every one of those sections. We've got those five sections. None of them are going to be broken up, so there's no going to be, not going to be any subsections. I'm going to do my best to work through every one of these things, um, and then we'll close out with some hard thoughts, or some excuse me, final thoughts. Word? Word. All right, so let us talk about John chapter 6, markers and themes. So if you have your handy-dandy little handout, at the top of that page, you will see um, five very clear themes or sayings that are going to be repeated over and over here in John chapter 6. The very first one that we're going to talk about is the bread of life, and there's a couple of variations of that. So there are eight different occurrences spread across these three sayings where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says that twice. He says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. He says that five times. And he says that I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. All three of those phrases are meant to mean the same thing. So don't get hung up on, well, one's slightly different than the others, and one's used four times or five times, and this one's only used twice. This is just John varying up based upon the context in which he's talking about the bread of life. But there are these clear indications that those are all meant to mean basically the same thing. We'll talk about that here in a bit. Jesus uses the phrase, truly, truly, four different times. The way this whole conversation is going to break out in John chapter 6 is the crowds, the Jews, are going to say something to Jesus, and he's going to respond. And then they'll say something else, and he'll respond. And they'll say something else, and he'll respond. They'll say something else, and he'll respond. Almost every time that he responds, he starts off by saying, truly, truly. And that's just a marker for Jesus and his audience and John for us to hear, this is really important, don't miss what he's about to say. Yeah? So we see that multiple times. We see that Jesus is the singular source of life. And so we talked about this last week when we said that Jesus is providing for their life, their physical needs right then. You know, not to be too hyperbolic, but if Jesus didn't feed them on that mountainside, they could have died, right? Like, they could have just gone home and eaten, but you get what I'm saying. Like, if you don't eat, you will die. And here, in the first part of the chapter, he's providing for their sustenance. But what's going to happen for the rest of this chapter, he's going to turn the metaphor to go from literal food to spiritual nourishment. And so he is the singular source of life. We see the importance of faith comes down multiple times um, uh, throughout um, this whole section. Uh, yeah, you can look through some of this. I'll highlight that. Uh, the, uh, the future bodily resurrection, this is sometimes called realized eschatology. Jesus clearly has in mind that he is doing something right now for you, and it's going to lead into eternity. And the way he talks about it is, I am certainly going to raise you up on the last day. It is certainly going to happen, right? And so there are these promises that are made, and he talks about that in four different locations here in John 6. Yeah? Here's the last thing I want to say. There is a weird thing that goes on in John chapter 6. I'll just draw our attention to it real quick. Look with me in verse 22. If you remember, feeding the 5,000, they're on the east side of the lake. He feeds everybody. They get out in the middle of the lake. Jesus walks on the water. They make it to the west side. Pick it up in verse 22. On the next day, after he fed the 5,000, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. They'd gone away. And then eventually, look at verse 24, so they get in the boats and they go to Capernaum, which is on the west side of the lake. Then you look over to verse 59, towards the end of the chapter. So we start off like they're kind of on the seashore, I guess. John doesn't really describe that. But by the time we get to verse 59, where is Jesus at? He's in the synagogue. John doesn't tell us how they got there, if the conversation was they were having it as they were going there. I don't really know. 
Um, I don't want to read too much into it, but this is the point that I want to make, is that there, there's no detail about that. It seems as though this conversation is moving, but where we land is in the synagogue, and that's important, okay? So I'll just kind of leave it at that for now. Cool? So we have some handles to kind of keep track of. I'm going to do my best to kind of highlight some of these things as we work through each verse. However, I gave you that sheet for a reason. I'll let you go put those together. I'll let you look at that list and see, oh, wow, it's really, really weird that in verse 48, Jesus talks about the bread of life. He talks about being the source of life. And then right after that, he talks about this resurrection. Hmm. I don't know if there's a connection there. Maybe you can find one. Yeah? That's why I've given you the resources. All right. Are y'all ready to work through our first section? All right, let's pick it up in verse 22. I'm going to skip around a little bit because we got like 50-something verses to read and uh, not going to be able to read it all. Verse 22, the next day, the crowd saw, hey, Jesus isn't here, nor are his disciples. They must have gone across the lake. So they get in boats, they walk around, they get over there. Pick it up there in verse 24. The crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor the disciples. So they got in boats and they went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Which, that's a, let's be honest, like they didn't see him get in a boat. They, they saw his disciples and then they see him. I think this is John's way of reminding us like they don't know the answer of how Jesus got there, but we do. And how did Jesus get there? Homeboy walked on the water, like on top of it, okay? He's better than Moses, right? John's reminding us, hey, this is a big deal, so there's more going on than what they understand. And then Jesus answered them, What's the first two words in your Bible? Verily, verily, truly, truly. Guys, you need to listen to what I'm about to say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do that we would get be doing the, the works of God. And so Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. You want to know what it is that God's asking you to do? Here it is. Believe in him who he sent. And I'm sure that's kind of unfulfilling for them, right? What are the works? Oh, just believe me. Okay, believe you to do what? No, 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 believe me. That's it. Talk about it. Here's the first thing we need to see. This crowd follows Jesus across the sea. Whether they got in boats, some of them did. Whether some of them walked around, we can see that some of the folks came up from Tiberias, which was about three miles away. Some of them just walked because Tiberias was like on the, uh, the western side of the sea as well, so they just kind of traveled over to Capernaum. But the word is spreading. That's the point, right? The great crowds are following Jesus at this point in John chapter 6, and now they're following him even more intently. But here's the deal. Jesus immediately challenges their motives for why they're following immediately. Hey, Rabbi, when'd you show up? Like, well, actually, the question should be, what are you doing here? Like, I, I walked across the water to be here with my boys. Why are you here? And that's the question. Like, you're asking me, when did I get here? Because that's kind of like the, the polite way to enter this conversation with Jesus. Hey, Rabbi, man, we've been, you know, it's good seeing you again. What, what, are, you, what, what are you up to? You got any more bread, right? And what Jesus immediately says is, uh, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs. Because remember, the word for sign that John is using, yeah, that's a miracle, but those signs point to something. You saw the sign, but you missed what I was pointing to. Because all you're really looking for is some more bread. You ate your fill. He said, guys, the only reason y'all are here is because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Now, to be fair... I just said that some of these folks came from Tiberias. So some of these people very well were not at the feeding of the 5,000. However, there had to have been at least a substantial number for Jesus to say that, right? For Jesus to say, y'all, y'all ate your fill. Now, some of y'all, maybe not so much, but the rest of you, y'all, you had the bread because you saw what happened. And that's why you're here, guys. You're after this thing that perishes. You're looking for lunch. That's, that's not what I'm here for. It's not what I'm here for. Yeah. So he says they ate their fill and that's the reason they're there. But then there's this other little note. Look there in verse 27. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Sounds a whole lot like the conversation with the woman at the well. We ain't talking about food there, but we're talking about water. Once you drink this, that's giving this wellspring that bubbles up to eternal life. That's the kind of water you want. Talking to the woman at the well. It basically says the same thing to the crowds here. Don't pursue the thing that perishes. Pursue the thing that's eternal. But the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Which, incidentally, we know who that is. It's Jesus. And then he says, For on him, the Son of Man, God has set his seal. And what a seal is, if you think about like old school, like medieval period, when some dude would write a letter to somebody else, they'd pour some melted wax, and homeboy would have like a signet ring, has like a shape, and he would emboss it on there. Um, that's basically what Jesus is referencing there. But what that does is it does two things. It provides security, but it also provides authentication. If you don't think this actually came from me, go get that letter, go get that wax seal, and we'll match it up with my ring, and I promise you I wrote that letter. What Jesus is saying here is, all you got to do is believe on the one whom the Father has sent. And by the way, the guy who the Father has sent, he has set his approval on that person. Me. And he's saying, so do the work that he says. Oh, what is that work? Well, that authentication for the works is just to believe. Just believe. So what we're going to see through the rest of John chapter 6, especially when we get into the eating his flesh and partaking of his blood, those are some hard statements, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. But Jesus' whole point is that that being with Jesus and receiving him, coming to him, all of that is just colloquial phrases for faith and belief. Because they saw the signs, but they didn't see the thing that it pointed to. They didn't see that they needed to be pointed to a faith, an object to which they should put their faith in. Yeah? So Jesus immediately puts his finger in their chest and says, why are you here? Because the reason I did that over there was so you would believe and I don't think that's why you are here. So why are you here? And that's what starts the conversation. Yep. Questions, comments about these first seven or eight verses. Didn't it say in the Bible that he walked over to Bethany? Yeah, we talked about that last week, Sue. Well, you were here. He walked on the water, but I don't know that he walked further. Mm -hmm. Well, he got in the boat about three and a half miles out because that's where his boys were because they rode hard. Yeah, but so that's that's where the conversation began. Yeah. Maybe. He probably got in the boat and then went the rest of the way, but he got across. He could have just willed himself there, I'm sure, right? Other comments? What the Son of Man meant? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Has sent a seal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so that's actually uh, the comment there is Jesus intentionally uses the phrase Son of Man for a reason. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll, that's not actually something we're going to cover, but we're going to bring it up now. Um, but normally when Jesus uses that phrase for son of man, he uses it in particular because he can fill it with his own meaning. Nobody really has this huge like built-in idea of this is what the son of man means. And so he uses this phrase and then he can populate it with whatever ideas he wants them to think about this figure. And then all of a sudden like, whoa, that's me. Like I'm that guy, right? So that's the comment to be made there. But then Jesus actually reveals he is the Son in reference to the Father setting his seal upon him with the works. So it's really clear. So with the Son of Man, that's a phrase um, that we see frequently in the Gospels. We don't actually really see it anywhere else in the New Testament, right? Um, and that's because Jesus is not going to be bogged down with calling himself the Christ or the Messiah because people think they know what that means already. So if he uses the label Messiah or Christ with a Jew who thinks that means king, who's going to overthrow the Romans, well, that's not what he's here for. So instead, he uses this phrase, son of man, and he can populate it with all these other thoughts, and he can teach them what he means by that. 
And then, lo and behold, that is the Christ. So he's correcting their bad thoughts about those other uh, presuppositions they have. Yeah? Make sense? Anything else from this eight-verse section? Ed, you got something? Okay, you look like you were chewing on something. I want to give you a shot. All right, so let's look at verses 30 through 40. And this is when Jesus uncorks the first I am statement that is official. We'll talk about that here in a bit. Let's look at verse 30. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do? Let's just pause right there. What do you mean what sign? He just told you the feeding of the 5,000. Some of y'all ate. Well, here's the proof is that this crowd wasn't completely all the people who saw that, right? However, for those who did see it, they still demand a sign, right? So what sign do you do that we may believe in you? Oh, you're talking about belief? Okay, cool. Give me a reason to believe, right? What work do you perform? And in case we were like being too hard on them, they pulled out the Bible. Hey, our fathers, they ate the manna. And we know that that was from God. Can you do that? Right? That's basically what they're trying to do. Jenny? Exactly. So the comment there is that, well, the manna from heaven started in Exodus 6. No, that can't be right because that's before Exodus 14. I think it's Exodus 14. Let's say that. This is when they're in Sinai. Nope, 14 is they cross the Red Sea. It's after they get to Sinai, they get some bread. There you have it. That continues all the way up until basically uh, Joshua, when they're about to enter the land, the manna stops. Why? because they're about to have the provision of the land. They don't need the sky bread, right? They don't need that anymore. But here's the point. So maybe they were thinking, hey, we should have this all the time. But what they do is they reference an odd verse. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. Does anyone have a reference to what verse that is? Well, it's ultimately getting there, but it's actually more closely worded to Nehemiah 9. They pull out Nehemiah which is a weird place, but ultimately it going back to Exodus, right? He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And that word for he is referencing Moses, right? So he gave them bread to eat from heaven. Hey, Moses had to perform signs so we would believe him. What about you, son of man, right? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but the father, is that what he says? He doesn't say the father. He says, my father. Don't miss that. He is not playing with them. My father is the one who gave you the, the bread. He gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, for, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say, sir, give us this bread always. If it's that good, then let's get some of that. So let's talk about it. What does the crowd do? Hey, man. What do you do so that we would believe that you're actually the guy we're supposed to believe in? Give me a sign, literally, right? What sign, what wonder do you perform? And so Jesus, like, he, I think he's picking up on what you're saying there, Jenny. Like, y'all are looking for something that's going to be this continual provision, and I'm going to do that, but it ain't going to be some sky bread. That's not what you're going to get. It's not going to be manna. But since we're talking about manna, and you brought it up, you do realize that Moses didn't give you a single thing, right? As he's talking to the Jews, and especially if they are in the synagogue by this point, and like he's surrounded by what would be in a synagogue to remind people of the Exodus and God's provision, and he goes, you do realize like Moses, like he wasn't the one that did that, right? It was my father, son of man. There's the connection. I and the father of one. Almost got killed for it not too long ago. Almost got made king for it too, right? Reminding, reminding us as the readers. He says, Jesus, I'm the one that gives you all this stuff because the Father gives it, not Moses. And so what the crowd says is, hey, cool, great. Then give us that sky bread. Let's get some of that in us, right? Let's pick it up there in verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let me just pause right here. Whoever comes to me, right, coming to him, that's this reception, that is us uh, recognizing and receiving, shall not hunger, and whoever believes. This is Jesus saying, 
Here's the alert for everything else I'm going to talk about. When it comes to receiving, abiding, coming, what he's saying is belief, faith, right? Don't get it twisted. That's what we're talking about. So whoever comes to him and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. That's weird because I just gave you the chance, right? But you don't believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right? The one who set his seal upon me, who gave me this authorization, and that he clearly says, I'm the one who is bringing this message into the world. I'm doing his work. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I'm going to raise it up on the last day. Yet again, there's that realized eschatology. There's this future bodily resurrection. I will raise you up. I'll raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes, so looking, coming, receiving, abiding, that's all code for belief. Whoever looks on the Son of Man, or on the Son and believes in Him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Y'all want some of that sky bread? And they're like, yeah, excellent. And so what does Jesus do? He uncorks the first I am. Ego a me. I, I am. Guys, don't miss what I'm about to say to y'all. I am the bread of life. And this is the time whenever we're sitting there, we're going like, yep, amen. Finish it out. Because the story's over. They just asked for the sky bread, and Jesus said, here I am. And this is when we anticipate, they go, cool, well, what do you want us to do? But if you look there in verse 41, what do you see? That ain't how this goes. We got a problem. So he says, I am the bread of life. There is no mixing, mincing words. He tells them directly, y'all want some of this sky bread? I'm it. I'm the real bread that you need. And what that bread is going to do, it's going to permanently satisfy your soul. You're never going to hunger. You're never going to thirst. This is what I'm offering to you guys. Whatever you need, right? Whenever you look there in verse 35 and 36, that when you come, you're never going to thirst. Sounds almost identical to what he said to her. Hint, hint. She responds them not so much yeah yeah well we're going to have that conversation here in just a bit right so jesus is going to permanently satisfy their souls and here's the next thing i don't want us to miss god's initiative to save is highlighted as well did you pick up on that look with me there in verse 36 <clears throat> but i said to you but those of you who don't believe all that the father gives to me will come to me if you put that together with verse 35, 36, 37, we're sitting there going like, okay, y'all want the sky bread? He just said he's it. And then y'all balk. Why did they balk? Because the Father didn't work in their hearts through the Spirit to draw them to Jesus. Like this isn't some huge soteriological statement, but it is to say, frankly, we have got to have the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And that comes from the Father to point, or to, to, point to what it is that Jesus has done for us. Are you seeing that? Like over and over, Jesus is going to talk about my work is to do what the Father sent me to do. And that's showing the initiative that the Father has taken to save his creation. Yeah? And then lastly, there's a future promise. I'm not going to lose anything to wit Y'all are all going to die, but take heart. Once you do, I'll raise you back up. No big deal. Just trust me. Just believe me. Come to me, believe me, receive what I'm saying, and I'll raise you up on the last day. In fact, he says it twice in like three verses to drive home that point. Yeah? That is what the bread of life does. That is who the Son of Man is. Yeah? Questions, comments about these 11 verses? Again, whether we're talking about rapture or whether we were talking about some other point in eschatological time frames. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you. But yes, you are thinking eschatologically. So eschaton is the last times. So when you're thinking about what's going to happen in the last day, I don't know the precise order. I don't know the precise sequence. But what I do know is he promises he'll do it. And so I believe it. Do I need to unfurl a chart to show us? 
No, because I think that chart's probably wrong. I don't care what chart you're showing me. It's probably wrong, right? But what I do know is what that chart is pointing to as being something that is truthful, that Jesus promises he will raise us up, he'll do it, right? Thief on the cross. His eschatology was kind of garbage. His theological prowess was kind of garbage. But he had the one thing that mattered. He believed. Hey, I, that other dude, don't listen to him. He's mocking you. I'm saying you've done nothing wrong, and I'm begging you, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what does Jesus say? Amen. You got it, bro. You got it. Yeah? Because Jesus promises he'll raise them up, and he will. Other comments from these 11 verses? All right. Let's look at verse 41. I've already kind of spoiled it. So the Jews grumbled about him and they said, I am the bread that came down from heaven? That's what you're talking about, man? Like, that's not, that's not what we were looking for. Appreciate it. I'm flattered, but not, not really down with that. That's not what we're looking for, right? They grumbled. They said, man, isn't this Jesus? That's Joseph and Mary's kid. What's he talking about coming from heaven? He comes from Nazareth, right? He comes from anywhere. It's Nazareth. He's, he's a Galilean just like we are. Like, what are you talking about coming from heaven? That's not who you are, right? And he goes on to say, Jesus answered them, fellas, don't grumble. Don't grumble. We'll talk about that word here in just a moment. Don't grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Don't, don't question any of what I'm saying. I'm telling you the truth. It is written in the prophets. They're taught by God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father had come to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He sees the Father, and he's like, that's me. I've seen the Father because I come from heaven. I'm different than you because I'm the Son of Man, right? And you can fill that with all the meaning. Verse 47, truly, truly, guys, don't miss what I'm about to tell you, right? That's what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever, what word do you have? Believes, has eternal life. And whoever tithes just enough, and whoever comes the right number of times in church, and adopts the right number of kids, and volunteers enough, and whatever. The only bar to clear is real belief. Thank God for that. He says, they have eternal life because, guys, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and guess what happened to all them jokers? Every one of them died. A 100% kill rate with that manna, right? Every one of them dudes died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. Oh, so you're saying we're going to live forever? Well, I mean... You'll die first, but then I'm going to raise you up because I've already said it twice. I'm about to say it again, right? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life or for life of the world is my flesh. So here's the first thing. The Jews grumbled. Gongatso. That is a beautiful word. Gongatso. That word, you can look on your list for all those texts that I've referenced down there. Start looking at that section down there of uh, the grumbling in the Old Testament. I'll give you a hint. Tonight, go read those stories. What you will find is every time that the people of Israel, that's translated from Hebrew into Greek, this word, every time they do that, whole chunks of them people start dying. Thousands at a time. At some level, our complaint about the bride of Christ will get you killed. And I know that because there are people from the Old Testament that as they are grumbling and complaining, God kills entire swaths of them. And yet we feel comfortable in church just airing whatever grievance we may have and complaining about the bride of Christ. I think we ought to be a little more guarded about what we say and what we think about Jesus' bride. Word? It gets them killed. And they are incredulous. Go look at those verses. Rich?
And she wasn't mad that Jesus knew everything. Nathaniel, ah, a true Israelite within whom there is no deceit. And he's like, you're the Messiah, you're the king of Israel. He, he said he saw you under the fig tree and you believed. Bro, you're going to see way better things than that, I promise you. I promise you. He responds in faith. The woman at the well seems to respond in faith. Eventually, Nicodemus comes around. He responds in faith eventually. But for this crowd, that's not the deal. In fact, they're incredulous. What do you mean, Jesus? From heaven? Heaven. Heaven. There's a place where we're from in Fort Smith, right down the road, called Heavener. Heaven E-R, and so it's better than heaven, right? That's literally what everyone says. They make the same joke, and you're like, ha-ha, it's in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. It's really not that great, right? You're from heaven, are you? Oh, is that what we're calling uh, Galilee and uh, Nazareth now, is heaven? Because we know Mary and Joseph. Like, you're not from heaven, man. I want to read you this quote. This is what D.A. Carson says about this exact quote. He says, their claim that they know precisely who Jesus' parents are is, is bunk. He says this, John's record of their question is steeped in irony. The Jews think that they know all that there is to know about Jesus' paternity, but they speak in ignorance not only of his virginal conception, because we know the rest of the story from the synoptics, not only of the ignorance of his virginal conception, but of his true identity. identity. Repeatedly, Jesus insists that his opponents do not know his heavenly father. Right? We've even seen that in our text. And they don't know him at all. Indeed, it will transpire that in John chapter 8, when Jesus calls the Jews, I know who you, whose dad yours is. This is the devil, right? Indeed, it will transpire that Jesus knows their father far better than they know his. What are you talking about, Jesus from heaven? You're from Nazareth, man. We know Joseph and Mary. And Jesus is like, you don't know anything. That reminds me of when Jesus himself said, a prophet has no honor in his own country. Yeah, so that comment about not having honor in his hometown, like, yeah, that's, that's where this is coming from. You think you know and you don't. Why do you think I'm telling you these things, people? So that you would believe. Why is John recording these? So that you would hear and that you would believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah? So, here's the deal. The Father must draw us to the Son. They must, it must happen. Look at verse 43. Jesus answered them, don't grumble. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. He takes the initiative. He sends me. I'm here proclaiming, come to me. But we've got to have the Holy Spirit work and... What Jesus then does is he doubles down on his claims. He reiterates, in case you missed it, you said you wanted the sky bread, I'm it. You eat from me, you're with me, you never die again. You tracking with that? He doesn't back down, even if they're incredulous. So, we can kind of run through the rest of this. Jesus is saying, look, everyone who ate that manna, every one of them died. And what I'm telling you is, yeah, you're going to die, but I'm going to raise you up. So the manna ain't the thing. It's, it's me, the true manna, the real sky bread. And then what Jesus says is that the nourishment that he gives is his very life. This is where everything else hangs up on. Verse 51, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread, he will, ne he will live forever. And the bread that I give you for the life of the world is what? My flesh. And that's a hang up for some people. Right? So comments that y'all have about these 11 verses or so. Questions? Comments? All right. Then let's look at that, because the next section is necessity of faith, because that's what we've been talking about this whole time. Verse 52, then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, really, we got to be cannibals? That's what this dude is promoting? So Jesus said to them, don't miss it. Truly, truly. Again, you seeing what he's doing? Every time he's about to uncork something really important, he says, truly, truly, don't miss it. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You thought it was about just my life, my body? No, 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 no. It's about my body and my blood, guy. It's more than you think. Now, he doesn't literally mean eating his flesh and drinking his blood. We'll talk about that in a second. But you've got to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. 
You have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And what is he going to do? I'm going to raise you up in the last day. Like the whole point is something grander than what's happening right in front of you. It's not just the body, the flesh, the blood. There's something more going on here. That's the whole point, right? Verse 57. As the living father. Isn't that crazy that he calls the father the living father? Well, if he's the living father and he calls himself the living bread, and it just makes sense, right? The living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me also will live. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the bread your fathers ate in the wilderness because they died. But whoever feeds on this bread, they're going to live forever. And Jesus said those things in the synagogue. So here's the thing. I don't actually think the Jews didn't understand what he said. I think they just didn't like it. And let's be really clear. For us, I think we get a hint of this because we have the prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And eventually in verse 14, the Word became flesh. So we're already talking about spiritual things that become flesh. Is it so weird to think about a fleshly thing that is pointing to a spiritual reality? Like that's the whole point is that the Godhead takes on flesh in the Son. There's more going on here than we recognize, yeah? I think they get that there's something happening here. They just don't like it. In fact, this is what... Uh, I got I a quote. We'll throw that out there in a little bit. We'll skip it for now. Um, but here's the deal. I think they understand. They just don't like it. They just don't like it, yeah? Next thing is, when Jesus says that they need to feed on his flesh, that's just colloquial talk for faith. Look back at verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, and what we see with coming to him is eating and drinking and all this other stuff, but he's talking about belief. He's talking about faith, right? It shouldn't be that hard for us to understand this, especially given what we saw in the prologue. So he says, this is all about faith, guys. And then, once again, Jesus doubles down on his statement. It's not just eating my flesh. You've got to drink my blood, fellas. And really what he's getting at here is he is just talking about this is what real commitment looks like being with me. In fact, he goes on to say this here, and let's read verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. In fact, this is the first time in John where Jesus uncorks this mutual abiding. They are abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in them. You go to John chapter 15 with the vine and the branches and it's all over the joint. Meno is the word, and John uses it, I think, like 12 times in that chapter. Like, it's something wild. It's a big deal. And here's the first time he uncorks it. He says, look, if y'all are with me, I will be with you forever, completely. Yeah? And so he uncorks that, and then there's this statement. Look there in verse 57 through 59. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me continually, whoever's with me, who is abiding, they will live because of me. Just as the bread came down from heaven, but I, this bread that I have isn't like that bread because it's something you can continually have, right? Because of this, they ate and they died, but whoever feeds on this bread, they will live forever. The whole point there is that we must remain connected to Jesus. And we know that this is kind of the theme because of what happens in the very next scene, which closes out the rest of this chapter. All right, we'll talk about that in a second. Questions? How am I supposed to get back? How am I supposed to get born again, guy? Like, how does this work? And Jesus was talking about a physical thing, but he was meaning it in a very spiritual way. There's like this double meaning, but he's also like, there's something grander. Same thing's going on here in a similar way. Sue, yes, ma'am. body holds us together and the blood gives us life. Yep. Incidentally, I would say this. Everyone who was reading this in John's immediate audience, they were probably thinking of that right up there. In fact, it's hard for us not to separate our thoughts about communion. But here's the deal. I mean, like literally, it's inscribed on that table up there. Do this in remembrance. 
We remember, and we are using that to remind us. We are using that to promote this abiding with Jesus, right? It's not literally his blood. It's not literally his uh, body. In fact, I know where that body comes from. Don't you, Rich? I know where those crackers come from. Judith makes them, <laughs> right? Like, we didn't crack that off of some reliquary that we have in the back, right? It's symbolic. We are to remember. We are to maintain this relationship and stay connected to Jesus. That's the point. Yeah? They would have understood that, his original audience, and I think we should make some of those connections. However, there's just a more base meaning that Jesus is saying, you've got to come to me. You've got to have faith in me and what I say. You don't have that. You don't clear the bar. Other comments? Ed? When you talk about eating the flesh and mm-hmm. the blood, he hasn't initiated the Lord's Supper yet. He hasn't even taught on the Lord's Supper yet. And when he does, he explains it to his disciples a little more clearly. Yeah, he does. So this is where I'm saying, I think we should make those connections. I think John's audience would make those connections. But the people he's talking to, they aren't thinking along those lines. But they are understanding. He's talking about something more spiritual. Uh, that's my contention. Yeah? Those are good comments. All right. Well, we'll get to that here in just a second, in fact. All right. So let us look at verses 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, Oh, man, did you hear what Jesus said? Did you get what he said? Because I didn't. Well, like, we got to eat his flesh? I can't get down with that. They said among themselves, it's a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing that they were doing it, and what were they doing? Grumbling. They were complaining. And he, that's not something that is going to just go unchecked, right? And by the way, the word there for disciples doesn't mean the 12. It means like the larger crowd of people who seem to be following him. We'll talk about that in a second. He said, hey, do you take offense at this? You're taking offense about the blood and the the body comments. Guys, what are y'all going to do whenever you see me ascend into heaven? You you don't believe me on this. Y'all are not going to believe me when you see me resurrect and go to heaven. Right? I think that's his comment there. He's saying you're not going to believe that. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there's some of you who don't believe. And then a little bit later in verse 65, and he said, This is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted to them by the Father. And then they just leave in droves, right? Verse 66, and many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus turns to the 12, which is like the disciples we normally think of, and like, well, fellas, do y'all want to go too? And what does Peter say? <laughs> well, man, where else are we going to go? Like, I, you are talking about these words of eternal life, and like, I know I need that, and no one else is talking like that. You're, you're the only place I know to get that, so I'm, I'm with you. He kind of looks around with the other guys, and they're like, yeah, so yeah, we're with you, Jesus. There's nowhere else for us to go, right? And we have, what's the words you have there in verse 69? And we have, mine says, believed. We believed. There's your indicator that God had been working in their lives and that they had been granted this belief to come, right? Lord, to whom shall we go? you got the words of eternal life. We've believed, and how are we? Where else are we going to go? You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, hey, I chose y'all, right? That's great. That's good. I'm so happy for 11 of you. Because there's one of y'all. It's going to go bad. So here, let's talk about this. So some of Jesus' own disciples are affected, and they leave in droves, right? Uh, this is uh, N.T. Wright. This is the quote I want to throw out there for you. This is what N.T. Wright says about this, this hard teaching. He says, What Jesus had just said had made a huge hole in their worldview. And when that happens, some people prefer not to think about it at all anymore. Jesus this is a hard saying. I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Okay, well, cool. Well, do you want to talk about it some more? Nah, I, nah I'm good. I'm out. And they leave. But then there's the 12 who stick around, right? So some of his disciples are affected, but here's the deal. This is the, this is the point that I want you to hear clearly. Belief in Jesus' words, what he says about himself and who he is, precedes belief in the resurrection and the ascension. Because Jesus' own point is, guys, I'm talking to you about spiritual things with the blood and the body, and if you don't get that, 
what are you going to do when you see me come back to life? Bro, you can't even understand me talking about this symbol. What are you going to do for something that you can't even conceive? And then you're going to see me ascend to heaven? Like, you're, you're going to fall away then. Let's just get it squared right now. Let's answer your questions. No, I'm good. I'm out. Belief in Jesus' words and what it is that he said he is going to do and who he is precedes our trust and faith in the resurrection and the ascension. Incidentally, that's the whole point of John writing this gospel. I have written these things so that you might believe in the name of the Son of God, right? The resurrection happens there and the crucifixion there in chapter 19 and 20, and there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens afterwards, but like, We've got 18 chapters of stuff before then. Yeah? <coughs> Here's the next thing. <clears throat> the work of the Spirit, which is granted by the Father, is necessary. I've already made this point at least two different times on two different weeks. When we talk to Nicodemus, hey, Nicodemus, you've you got to have the Spirit work in your life. Just like the wind. You, know, it's, you don't know where it's going, but when you, when you feel it, you know it's for real. You know what I'm saying, Nicodemus? He's like, no. And I said then, you have to have the Spirit of God work in your life to actually have this eternal life that bubbles up. And here's the other thing. We see that in Peter. Peter says, who else are we going to go to? You are the Holy One of God. It's a real commitment. It really is. Now, it's going to get strained, and he's going to mess up. But that's what the whole epilogue of this whole book is about, is Jesus restoring him. Incidentally, you know what Peter does then in the epilogue? immediately messes up again. But then he's the one who's leading the march there at the day of Pentecost. Yeah? He's got this real faith. And so the last thing I'd say is that Jesus knows about his betrayal. He knows it's coming. John doesn't give it a whole lot of attention here, but he knows it's coming. All right, questions before we turn to our final thoughts and Q&A. Anything else in 60 through 71? Here, get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so let's draw that parallel out even further. Rich said, hey, I see a parallel between there are some who get what Jesus says and there are some who don't. Just like in, uh, was it Numbers 12, 12 through 14, Moses sends 12 dudes into the land to go spy it out and 10 of them come back and they say, yeah, it's great. It's awesome, but we can't do it. And two do get it. So there are some that get it and some that don't. Let me draw that, uh, that parallel even further. What did the people of Israel do to Moses whenever they demanded a sign and they get the manna? What was it that was preceding that? Grumbling and disbelief. Then when Jesus starts saying, hey, I am that sky bread. I'm the real, true bread of heaven. What do they do with him? They start grumbling and they desert him too. Like the whole point of John chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, everything we've talked about tonight is Jesus is grander and better than Moses in every way. But for this family of, of Jews in the first century, they have this shared lineage and shared history of how God had worked in their life. They were looking to something just like that with Moses, and that's what they want to see again. But then I think Jesus and John are pointing out here yeah, and the same failures they had back then are the same failures they have now. Let me read you one more thing. Uh, do I have that quote? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it here in a bit. Um, the, the whole point there is what Jesus is demanding is that they must believe that the same God who is at work to save Israel from the Exodus and in the wilderness, that same God is at work through Jesus. If you miss that, you don't understand what God's doing. Right? Other comments, questions about this, and then we'll do our final thoughts. All right, let's run through it then. Number one. <clears throat> Number one. Here we go. Number one. Jesus satisfies your ultimate longings, and nothing else can even come close because it's not designed to. If you have this eternity that is packed into your very essence, According to Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has placed eternity into the hearts of men. Then what are we doing trying to fill it up with pancakes that you're going to digest in a day? 
It can't fill you. You have to have something eternal to feel that eternal longing. That's Jesus. That's the only thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question is, what then, let me take your question to put it back in the context of how I'm going to answer it. The question as I take it is, what then was the purpose of the feeding of the 5,000 that was only temporary? It was only temporary. Why did Jesus do that? And then you even add on, but like, then he takes them a little bit deeper. And I think that's the answer. Jesus says, I perform this sign because it's pointing to something. And we even said that last week that Jesus is the one who ultimately satisfies. He's the one who ultimately has over, over all creation authority. It's pointing to something else, an object to put your faith in. Not the bread, not the little sardines, but me. And then when they ask, hey, man, can we get some of that bread always? Does Jesus tell them no? Look back there at verse 35, or verse 34. They said to him, give us this bread always. If it's that good, then give, us to it. give it to us. And Jesus said, excellent. Here it is. It's me. Believe me. Ah, I'm not, not all about that, especially about the blood and the body stuff. Like, I'm not down with that. I think that is the connection. Jesus did that, and that prompts the conversation to get spun forward, and he talks about these eternal realities immediately after. Yeah? Is that, does that help make that connection for you? All right. Yeah, and I think Jesus does. Yeah, Jesus is going to meet needs so that he can have this conversation. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah. So here's the next point. Jesus demands and is absolutely worthy of nothing less than our total commitment. Half-hearted commitment or seeking after something else from God that he's not interested in giving you primarily, and then you shun him because he didn't fulfill your wish, like, he's not a genie. That's not how this works. He's not a fallen star for you to wish upon. That ain't how this gets down. He's the one who eternally satisfies. And if that's true, then he is worthy of full-throated, complete, total commitment, which we see from Peter, even with some failure but we absolutely don't see it from the rest of the crowd that leaves him, right? Here's the next thing. Eternal things are greater than temporary things, period. And what Jesus says is be about that. Let's do that. Let's not worry about all these other things that are not going to satisfy. Let's go after the work of God. Okay, Jesus, you brought it up. What is the work of God? I'm glad you asked. Believe in me. What do you mean? Hey, I'm the true bread. I'm the one that satisfies. Come to me. If you do, I'll raise you up in the last day. Ah, I don't really want that. Well, then you're seeking after temporary things. And here's the last thing. Who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, in many ways matters more than what he does. And what I mean by that is not the resurrection, not the ascension, not raising us up, but like the miracles that he performs. Because what, were the, what was the crowd after? They come across the sea and they're like, hey, Rabbi, man, what are you doing here? Hey, we heard about this giveaway you had what's up with that and what does jesus say the only reason y'all are here is because you want more food who jesus is is more important than the things he does the things that he does those miracles those signs specifically in john are meant to point us to who he is and once we get that then all the things that he does he's definitely going to do yeah comments questions gripes complaints Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Faith comes by seeing mm-hmm. the Word in action. Right. And then when you have, when you believe and you have faith, then you get led to be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. And this is where we can get into some like really fine theological conversation about the order of salvation. Are you regenerated? Are you given a new heart and then you believe? Or do you believe and then you're given a new heart? Honestly, 
I have my views on that, but here's what I do know. For most people, they all occur kind of indistinguishably all at the same time anyhow. But what I do know is what Jesus says is you have to have the Holy Spirit work in your life. And when that happens and you see what I'm doing and you see what I'm saying and you're on board, then you have eternal life. Absent you crossing the bar of faith, you missed the whole thing. That's the one criteria. The work, which is why whenever you look in there on the little handout that I have, the work of faith, anybody want to read that for us? Somebody do that. Somebody turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Just read that out loud, and this is how we'll close down. This is specifically what Paul says about work looks like, what Jesus was talking about with work. Chad, you got it? Nope. Second person who has it, raise their hand. There you go, Paul, just start reading for us. You are saved by faith, or excuse me, saved by grace through faith, not by works. But then verse 10 says, you were saved not by works, but to go do work, right? And when Jesus says, oh, y'all want to work? Cool. I'll tell you what you need to do. Yeah, tell me what you need. Believe me. Believe me on what? Blood, body, the whole nine. Then I'll raise you up. Believe that. Can't do it. Then you missed it. Yeah? Other comments about John 6? Questions? Chad? Yes. I think it is shocking. That's a good word to use here. To some people, it's insulting. Yes, insulting. Mm -hmm. But we cannot, we cannot come to Christ on our own terms. Mm -hmm. He demands that we come to him on his terms. As he has described what the bar is, and it's faith, it's belief in what he says he'll do. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take it a step further for us, because we want to localize it here. Our vision statement, our mission statement we have here at the church is that we invite others to bend their knee to whom? Jesus. King Jesus. King Jesus. He demands it because he is the only one who rightly can. So we invite others to bend their knee to King Jesus and then we help them follow him for the rest of their lives. He's the only one who's worthy of it because he's the only one that satisfies. Why would I point anyone to follow anyone else who is going to fail them ultimately? That would do them harm. So instead, let's point him to the one who satisfies, and he just happens to be a king. And guess what kings do? They make demands. Rightly so. Yeah? Final thought. Sue, yes, ma'am. It's you plural. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be worthwhile. So the comment there is like, uh, I said plural, but you singular, like you could just substitute your own name, and that kind of really brings it to home. And I do think that that's, I don't think that's necessarily a, a wrong application for sure, right? I think once you realize that these are demands that are being made, not of just the world that's out there, like that's what Jesus demands of you now. Yeah? All right, anything else? Yep. You have to come to him on his terms, but he also takes care of you. He knows what you need. Yep. And uh, Deuteronomy coming up, I read a little bit ahead, but God, through Moses, lays out what a good king mm -hmm. yep. has the characteristics of, and you see, you see how Jesus treats mm -hmm. people. And, and, and he follows the, the model of what uh, Moses lays out as what a true king will do. All right, here's a reminder. Next week, we're not in here because we're on spring break, right? Don't come in here or come in here and I won't be here. Even the next week of 
Nope. Next week is chapter eight because we're skipping all of chapter seven. I'm going to do a video on that. Ed? I'm just curious. What does spring break have to do with the church? Uh, I'm going to be gone. It's going to be part of it. A lot of our teachers and a lot of our other family members are going to be gone. And plus, this is just a, it's just a natural break when it comes to for us. So that's, that's just the schedule we have set. Ed. I, I, get the, I, I get the heart of the question, though. I do. Alita. Yeah, y'all have prayer meeting. Yeah, so I, but as far as like us covering material, we're not going to be doing that. I will be shooting a video that will cover basically all of John chapter 7. And then we're going to try to cover all of John chapter 8, which is a huge chunk. Um, we're going to pick it up in about verse 15, 12 or so, and then go basically to the end of the chapter is what we're going to do. Not next Wednesday, but the one after whenever we come back to this class. Yeah? All right, if you've got questions, I'll be up here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Go get kiddos. Father, we thank you that we have uh, a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in all of our weakness, and yet he is without sin, that he is the true bread of life. He is the real sky bread that we need. He is the real provision that we need, not only for now, but also for eternal life who is going to raise us up in the last day. So, Father, right now, we thank you for Jesus and what it is that you have accomplished through him and applied to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I am thankful that you are the one um, to whom we can cling to for all of our provision for this life and the next. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of that truth even from John chapter 6 in the coming week. God, we thank you for all the good things you give us and chiefly for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, if you've got questions or you need to get some notes, come talk to me and I'll get you taken care of.